did end up becoming a yoga teacher and um, and I knew that, you know, getting back in my body was an essential part of the journey. And, you know, I still work at that. I am a fairly heady person, but I did four or five years of somatic experiencing therapy. I learned to notice feelings more. I, I, I cultivated a feeling state more. I think so many of us sit at computers and we do live in our heads. And I began to notice when I get spun out, I can actually feel kind of a toxic energy in my head. And I, I've since learned that you can just with focus and, and you can almost bring that energy down and in and have it all mix up with your better energy. It sounds woo woo, but it's not really. It's just sort of allowing your the full energy of your life force to move through you rather than getting it trapped up in your head. Welcome to Men This Way, the podcast for every man who seeks to live his deepest purpose in life, who's committed to showing up fully and giving his unique gifts to the world. Because if not you, then who? I'm your host and fellow journeyman, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y, Reeves. Men, this way. Have you ever gone on a journey into the world that fundamentally changed you? Have you figured out by now what it means to truly live a good life? And might you still be functioning as an adult from childhood wounds unexamined? Well, in this episode, my brilliant guest, Brad Wetzler, and I mine these questions and more for wise insights that could make a meaningful difference in your life. When I first connected with Brad, I was immediately enthralled by his story of a profound journey that life forced him to go on because he'd finally hit a bottom that left him no choice. I love those stories because I've lived that story myself multiple times, actually. And those experiences have made all the difference in my life. Many men don't really get to have such transformational journey experiences. Or if we do, it's because something has blown up in our lives, like addiction or betrayal or some huge financial loss. It's like we live in a schizophrenic world, on the one hand, strongly encouraged to seek only pleasure and comfort in whatever ways we can get them. And yet by the very same culture, we are set up to fail at the task, doomed to never find the pleasure and comfort of true fulfillment due to all the distractions and false gods we worship that keep fulfillment forever at bay. Until one day, if we're lucky, we hit some bottom that our distractions and false gods, our pills, our video games and bank accounts can't save us from. And we're forced to confront all that isn't actually working for our lives. Well, that's Brad's story. Now, Brad Wetzler began his writing career serving as an editor at Outside Magazine, where he worked with some of America's finest nonfiction writers, including the legendary John Krakauer, whom Brad helped in stewarding the writing of the iconic article, which later became a long-running best-selling book, Into Thin Air. He later turned in his editor's pen for a writer's pen and traveled the world writing about adventure and exploration, business, politics, the environment, sports, and wellness. And Brad just came out with a powerful memoir titled Into the Soul of the World, which shares his story of a decade-long round-the-world quest to overcome drug addiction and to understand and heal from his past traumas. If you're a man on a healing journey, his memoir might be a great read for you. And in our conversation today, we talk about many things, including toxic relationships between fathers and sons, the plight of living in an addiction-pushing society, the importance of connecting to your body, 
And what does it mean to live in your heart versus your head? We talk about all that and more. It's a rich conversation, and I think you'll enjoy it and be served well by it. Now, I'm going to do something new that I learned recently from a fellow podcaster that I'm excited to try out because I've been asking for reviews on my podcast from listeners for a long time. And though I have thousands of listeners on each episode, very few of you actually take the time to leave a review. And I get it. We're busy. We got lots of buttons to push, messages to ignore. So I'm going to read the latest review on my podcast. And if you are the person who left it, contact me through my website and I'll give you free lifetime access to one of my online courses. And if you are listening right now and are inspired to leave a podcast review and I read that in an upcoming episode, I'll give you free access to one of my life-changing courses too. All right, here we go. This is on Apple Podcasts. Jossie Wilson 84 recently shared this review of Men This Way. Wonderful, fabulous, and always heartfelt discussions. Thank you, Brian, for being authentic and real. His book is so worth the purchase. It has changed my relationship I have with my wife forever. End quote. Uh, Jossie Wilson, thank you so much. Man, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to leave that review. Uh, hits me, hit, hits me, hits me good, man. And if you hear this, please email me either through my website or you can email support at brianreeves.com, brian with a y, reeves.com. And you'll get free access to either my love, sex, relationship, magic program or the boundaries program, relationships suck without boundaries. Uh, both of those are a $97 value. Uh, and again, if you're not Jossie or Josie, I'm not sure how to pronounce that exactly, please do write a podcast review on your favorite podcast app. And if I read yours on a future episode, contact me and you'll also get free access to a course as well. I really look forward to reading your review. Now, back to my conversation with Brad Wetzler. Take a deep breath. And stay present with us all the way through to the end of this episode of Men This Way. All right, let's dive. Brad Wetzler, welcome to Men This Way. It's an honor to have you on. I'm excited for our conversation today. Me too. Thank you for having me. I'm excited about this. I'm your story. I know you've just come out with a memoir, which I love the title, Into the Soul of the World. And we'll, we'll, we'll dive into that shortly, but I'm... I'm uh, I can relate very per personally, intimately to your journey, at least from what little I know of it so far. And we'll we'll unpeel a lot of that uh, in our conversation today. But um, you know, I'm I'm aware you've lived a very adventurous life, and I'm um, I'm curious, Brad, where is like first off, how many countries do you know that you've traveled to, and the second part of that question is if you could only have like, if there's one favorite place, like a favorite spot, like for me, there, there's a hillside in Ireland on the West coast of Ireland that I, I felt I went there and I overlooking the Atlantic and I could just, you know, pitch a, pitch a tent and stay there for decades. Mm -hmm. Like, is there a spot for you that, that sticks, sticks out? Yeah, there is. Um, there is a, a temple to Hanuman, the monkey god, in mm. uh, in the Himalayan foothills of India, India, and um, it happens to be the same little ashram temple where 
Ramdas and and that crew mm. uh, met their guru. But the the mountains there, um, you know, they just have a depth, a soulfulness to them, and mm. and that that particular spot feels rich with um, the spirit of these people who who mm. meant a lot to me actually. Is India one of your favorite places that you've traveled to? It is. You know, it's not an easy place to travel to. Um, you know, certainly there's, I've had a lot of fun in places like Bali and mm-hmm. um, you know other places. But it's a it's a place that um, one teacher I met over there described where the where matter and spirit are more intermingled. You know, a lot most I think all mm-hmm. of the ancient spiritual traditions can be, mm-hmm. you know drawn back upstream to the to the headwaters of india mm. and um including the western you know religions and, and spiritual traditions so yeah it just um if i feel different over there i feel mm. a bit weepy even i feel mm. really connected to the depths of myself and yeah. and um yeah yeah I've, I've been to india a few times as well and i remember the first time that i went i felt the ancientness of mm. the land in a way look all, all land is ancient for the most part <laughs> and i felt but i felt something in the air I, I, it's an interesting way that you just languaged it where where what was it where where spirit and spirit matter and matter yes are more intertwined and are mingled that's a great way of putting it because i i felt that i remember mm. i remember distinctly feeling like whoa something's different about this place it's all it's also a land of great contrast Right. Such profound spirituality and and <clears throat> and um, and as you said, ancient tradition. And, and yet it's also one of the dirtiest places I've ever been. Completely. You know, I think, you know, obviously they they spent a lot of effort. Um, a lot of this has been written about, but they took they spent a lot of effort on their on the past few thousand years on their spiritual technologies and mm-hmm. at the expense of materialism and mm-hmm. You know, you could argue mm. that we've done the opposite, um, mm. you know, which is why I think so many of us are hungry for for something from the East. That's really interesting. I heard a I can't remember who said this might have been. I don't remember. Maybe Neil Donald Walsh or Jeff Brown. Someone said, you know, uh, Americans go to India to f- seek something and Indians go to America to seek something. And I think you yeah. just nailed it. <laughs> the Indians come here for our materialist uh path and success and we go there for some some spiritual fulfillment yeah i think that's right and large yeah well uh brad as i alluded to when we we began i i identify deeply with stories of of men who have hit rock bottom of sorts Mm -hmm. or at least gotten themselves to a place in life where they just don't know where to go from from there they hit the, the all of their their previous coping mechanisms and ways of being if just we've just slammed into the limitations mm-hmm. of those in terms of, of of ways of living and so we have to go on a journey uh, of wandering to to find ourselves if you will and and i know i'm really eager to get into that with you today um but to help our listeners get to know you a bit more before we dive into that. I also want to just set the stage because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm also fascinated by the link between our childhood experiences and then who we are as adults and how that shows up and, and how that shapes our relationships, our choices, et cetera. And I, and I think ultimately also sets the stage for us to run into those walls. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we do run into those walls. Uh, huh? Hopefully we do. Yes. Yeah. Otherwise we, we walk through life in a trance, I think, you know, so it's a gift to run into those walls. It doesn't seem like that at the, at the time and certainly didn't to me. Um, but I, you know, I started out my career, um, uh, 
on fire. You know, I, after a graduate school in journalism, I landed a job um, at Outside Magazine. It was sort of a dream job. And I worked my way up to editorial staff there until um, my final project I worked on was Into Thin Air by John Krakauer. And, mm. um, what, and wait, after wait, that, when you say yeah. you worked on that, what do you mean? Well, I conceived of the the original idea. It's mm. um, basically I, I came up with this idea that we should send somebody to base camp at Everest to mm. monitor the changing times there, going from an expeditionary mountain to a um, you know a paid paid mm -hmm. to play mountain. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so I pitched a story idea, and, and back in ninety three, ninety four, and eventually I I pitched the idea to, to John Krakauer and mm -hmm. he um he accepted the assignment and then he turned it down about a couple of weeks later realized that he just didn't want to do the P, the article he later called my boss and said he wanted to go and but he wanted to climb it and so um, that's the origin story of Into Thin Air. He wrote a yeah. 17,000 word piece that I shepherded through the system and mm. uh, edited. And um, yeah, so. Wow, that's iconic. It, I mean, that's an iconic yeah. piece of literature, in, at least in the the travel adventure genre. It is. And if you look at the bestseller list, it's still right up there at the top in, in, in memoirs and adventure. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. You know, I mean, I did, I wasn't involved in the book, uh, mm -hmm. you know, but that that article became, you know, he he, he turned that into the book. So, mm -hmm. um, it was a big moment for me, and I, I was uh, sort of uh, I saw that as my moment to leave the magazine. We didn't have staff writers, so I left the magazine to be an adventure writer myself. Mm -hmm. And and right out of the box, I succeeded. Uh, you know, within the first three or four years, I was writing for the New York Times, GQ, Men's Journal, um, Wired. Um, travel and leisure, all these places, and um, was look, on the lookout for my my first big book idea. And uh, but at the same time that that was going on, um, I was struggling. I was I was coming back from trips exhausted. I was dealing with what I later figured out were were PTSD flashbacks, and and I was also intermingled with a psychiatrist who was be prescribing me pill after pill. And none of it worked because I didn't realize I had trauma and it wasn't really treatable with pills. Mm, mm. But eventually I was on mm. 23 pills a day, still wandering the world and um, but leaving notebooks and everywhere, getting paged on the intercom at airports, you know, paging Brad Wetzler. You've left your your backpack full of pills back at the security. And mm. it was just turned into wow. quite a, a shit show. And wow. eventually um, the wheels fell off and. Mm. Uh, and a friend of mine died by suicide. Mm. And as I was sitting with his body, I just knew something woke up in me. Something woke up and knew that I was I was watching, seeing myself on the floor if I didn't make a big change. So Yeah. Well, it reminds me of I, I'm a military veteran and um I remember I haven't looked at this in some time, but I know that I I was doing mindfulness work with veterans a few mm. years back. I had a nonprofit to to help veterans learn mindfulness practices. And I recall at the time, I mean, veterans were in such a, a, a bad state. I think on something like an average of 12 pharmaceutical medications mm. yeah. to, to just treat symptoms uh, rather than really get at the root causes of what they were experiencing. And it was just, just a heartbreaking for me. And uh, I'm curious, you, you talked about PTSD and what, what can you share of the, of the roots of that? Yeah. When I was 12, I was in a canoeing accident with my father and, um, we, uh, we tipped over on a, on a whitewater river and he drifted to shore and I, mm. um, my, my life jacket snagged on a submerged log. And so mm. I was, 
I was pulled under immediately and then brought back up to the surface. And, and I was there for a good five minutes and, you know, praying, doing everything and nothing was going to release me from this. You were un- my, underwater for five minutes. No, 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 no. My, my head was, no, I ended up, my head okay. was back up above water, but I was still Got like, it. you know, oh, up yeah. to my chin yeah, and yeah. trapped there. And oh. so, and my mm. father kept looking over and he seemed frozen on the, on the beach. And, and mm. so, which, um, was confusing. Well, eventually a, a, uh, another boat slammed into me and released me. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, that was a specific thing. That's mm-hmm. not really the source of, of the major PTSD, which is more of that complex PTSD nature. So mm-hmm. when I got home, um, my father denied that happened and, um, and I was left to process that alone. And then, but did, more did, than did that, so, did so out of fear of uh, scaring your mom, or what? Why did? Why do you I think don't he know. denied? You that? know, I think he. I think he had. A, he has a difficult time. Uh, you know, with things that might. Uh, you know, bring shame upon him, which mm. that wouldn't have. And and you know, to to go a little bit deeper. Mm. So my family was it was. Uh, um, you know, we were, it was an alcoholic. My you know, a parent was an alcoholic and, mm. um, uh, and all that got denied. And and mm. I was the truth teller and mm. I was basically lived for from 12 to 18, calling, calling this out, naming it, um, mm. saying, can we do, can we deal this? Can we he- heal this? Can we deal with it? Um, at the dinner table and, mm. and everyone stares back at me like, uh, what the fuck are you saying? And, uh, you know, this isn't happening and, or we don't see it, but it is. And long story short, that kind of scapegoating happened where I got pushed out of my family and, um, just, you know, Mm -hmm. felt sort of outside my, I talk about this in the book, but I felt outside my own body felt outside of my family and outside of my own life, you know, Mm -hmm. which was, so it's complex PTSD, which, Mm -hmm. and when it happens in childhood, your brain is formed through that time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I went. Uh, <clears throat> boy, there's so much I can can connect with in your story just already. I mean, I <laughs> I went whitewater rafting just a year ago, and I had a moment on the last day, and I knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. I, I had a premonition. I knew this was coming. I was in my own little kayak, and <clears throat> we hit one of the hardest rapids. Probably class might have been a class four, and sure enough, I got dumped, and I got trapped under a rock for not even ten seconds. Yeah, but the terror in oh, my body. Yeah. And then I got caught in the eddy. Uh, once my head was above water, I was still caught in the eddy that I couldn't get out of. Um, oh man. And I'm, I'm 47, 48 no, at know. the time. You know, the power of water is scary. I mean, it, you know, I've had friends who have been in floods with like three mile an hour water, but heavy water that pins them against doors. It's like, uh, it's heavy duty stuff. It is incredible. And I was on this trip with a friend of mine who had been himself trapped underwater mm. for four minutes Wow. And on a previous trip. So, you know, I can imagine at 12 years old and then being in a family system, I can relate to this alcoholism in the home and nobody really wanting to talk about what's going on, Mm -hmm. you know, and I I became a writer in my thirties to talk about what was going on that no one in my family would talk about. So, but I can see how, okay, so you've, oh man, you, you've been exiled now from your family system, essentially at a pretty young age. Mm-hmm. because you wanted to basically have real conversations about what's going on, but the family doesn't. Right. Okay. So now you're into your twenties. You're, you're working as a, as a writer at, by already by this time. Yep. Yeah. By, a, by 20, by 29, I was already, I was out off the magazine and working as a writer. Yeah. Okay. And traveling so, the world. So, yeah. So, so bring us down the pathway that led you to, 
rock, let's just say that, 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 that moment of crashing into that wall, how, how did yeah. you get there from here? I think in, in the late or early 2000s, as I mentioned, I was just struggling to hold it all together. And um, eventually I got a call from uh, from GQ wanting to know if, if I had any story ideas. And I didn't. I was barely leaving my house at this point. I was, you know, the only thing that was getting me up off the couch or my bed was was taking high doses of Dexedrine, which, um, you know, just turned me into a, a walking zombie. But I'd, I'd wander down to the uh, to a cafe with a stack of magazines and try to make sense of the words in these magazines that I had cover stories on just a few years earlier, um, taking antipsychotics, everything from antipsychotics to you name it, soup mm. to nuts and pills, and mm. mm-hmm. um, which I now see as an addiction, my own addiction. I kind of mm. take some responsibility for it. But but eventually, so GQ called and, and I, I did a quick Google search, you know, trying to find some stories. It's not the way I used to work. And I found this idea that, that some surfer missionaries, some Christian surfer missionaries were going to um, Bali and Lombok in, in Indonesia, and they were going to be converting Muslims to Christianity or trying to. I said, well, so I pitched that story to them and I ended up over there living on a boat, um, utterly, I mean, practically stumbling around. And, but eventually, um, I collapsed in the jungle and, uh, and I was started to pee every 15 minutes. And, Long story short, I was taking lithium as well, and uh, my kidneys were starting to give out. And uh, and that night, I tried to get out of bed and go with them to shore to go out to eat. And uh, I walked right into the ocean and had to be pulled out. And as I descended, mm. I had this feeling like like even the ocean wasn't going to lift me back up. You know, it was like the gravity was just going to pull me just to mm. the center of the earth. And I was okay with it. I was done with myself. Mm. I was done with mm-hmm. this trying to be an adventure writer. And mm. and I was, yeah, it was almost done with life. You know? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm struck by, you know, your, your <clears throat> acknowledgement that this was, that you were acting out an addiction Mm-hmm. And taking all these pills. And though, I don't imagine you started off this journey by going into a doctor's office and saying, hey, give me lots of pills that I can take to deal with stuff. I'm, I'm imagining that that there is a system that is addicted mm-hmm. to pills that, you know, put that on you, that, that essentially swallowed you in its system. I know this is something that you like to talk about, right? Or- Absolutely. Um, I'll actually give you the origin story real quick. Mm-hmm. I am 24 years old. A, I'm suffering in college from pretty deep depressions only. Um, a family friend says, hey, I just got left this doctor's office, a psychiatrist. Um, he told me I was bipolar and I think you are too. Mm-hmm. Well, Looking back in history, bipolar was is off was often uh, mis a misdiagnosis of trauma and PTSD. Mm-hmm. Well, I go to this doctor. I spent mm-hmm. 50 minutes. Um, you know, he asked me various questions. No questions about my childhood, family of origin stuff. Um, I did tell him that I, as a child, I had kind of mystical experiences, little merging with reality kind of things, and um, I told those stories. I told him how how ecstatic I felt when I drove my VW bus uh, out out into Kansas where I grew up and got away from my the bullshit of my family and mm-hmm. and uh at at the 45 minute mark he he writes a prescription for lithium and hands it to me says you're bipolar man. and oh, uh god I end up taking that, but you know what though? It, it felt good because it, there was an explanation for right. something. 
Right. And there was like, it wasn't my fault. It wasn't my family's fault. It, everyone was off the hook. Yeah. It was a brain disorder. Uh, yeah. And God damn, I'm, I'm also just, how old were you at this time? I was 24, 23, 24. You know, what, what I'm also so present to is, is also, this is an age like we men are overdue for our initiation into adulthood. Like Absolutely. we're fucking dying to, for some older man, older men to take us into manhood of sorts and to get Just us listen of, to us to start with, but yes, absolutely. Yeah. Just be present for what mm -hmm. we really need. Yes. And uh, I'm just, for me, I, I was at, I was 26, 27 years old. I just got out of the military. And you know, one of my bottom moments was I was, I was wandering, I was 30 days on just a one. I just didn't know where to go. And mm -hmm. I remember I was at the bottom of a phone booth in North Wales crying, sobbing because I didn't know what to do, where to go. N nobody was fucking showing up for me to help me figure this out. And I mean, on one hand, I, I know we have to go through this, but on the other hand, like the missed opportunities, the the lack of wise elder men, that that man, I'm a, it was a man and that you went to see. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All <clears> just like, men. Here's a script. Just here's a pill to oh my, to numb yourself out. Just 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 ah, uh, just that rankles me. I got uh, empathy. I got wrinkled. what I wanted, and, and he got the two hundred dollar check. You know, so yeah. And and you out of his hair. Of yeah, sorts. yeah. You know, oh man, it rankles me. Okay, well, <clears throat> so maybe this is a, a good opportunity, a good segue. So so into the soul of the world. That's the name of your mm -hmm. memoir, which I, I think is a beautiful, beautiful title. And to, to maybe to help us, to help hold where we're going in this conversation, I, I, I'd love to ask you, what do you mean by, by soul? You know, I think of it in, in a lot of different ways. I, I, you know, as someone who studied yoga and yoga philosophy, I, I do think of it a bit in those terms as our Atman, our, our essence. Um, I also in, in the West just think it's one of those undefinable words that, that just means our essence our who we really are underneath mm. our personalities. Um, and, and it's connected in some mysterious way with everything, with the soul of the world. And so, you know, this book ended up, you know, this journey I went on ended up being first to heal my body from the pills, to heal my emotional windiness and, and immaturity uh, that, that I, I realized that after I got off the pills, I was sort of ungrown up and, uh, and mm -hmm. had to heal all that. And, but eventually it turned into, you know, a quest to almost uncover my very soul. And, mm -hmm. and it took me across around the world um, in various phases of, of the journey. So uh, it finally, you know, or ending in a, uh, in a cave uh, in the Himalayan foothills um, at the top that was lived in by a hundred year old yogi. And um, talk about initiations at age 52, hmm. I crawled into this cave. Um, I was sort of at the at the tip of the spear of my life, my own hmm. spiritual journey. I was like, I was going to be done with myself if this guy was a sham. You know, I was told that this guy lived up there and and uh, uh, I walked in and I bowed at his feet. And as I was rising up, he smacked me on the top of the head, which um you probably know from your travels in India, there's something called Shakti pot, which mm -hmm. in the West sounds quite bizarre, but um, mm -hmm. this kind of physical transmission of, of spiritual wisdom or energy. <laughs> but I cry, mm -hmm. I, I got, I looked into his eyes and I, and then I walked over to the, or scooted over to the side and I just wept for, for an hour. 
just, mm. you know, as he was talking to some friends of mine, just wept. Mm. I mean, mm. and the next day, this is this is where it gets maybe a little bit unbelievable, but true. I woke up and I I was watching these birds flying and I fell into a trance and, and I just I ended up basically spending 12 hours in in what was the soul of the world and in, in a mm. mystical experience that, mm. that um, and, you know, numinous experience. You know, there's that uh, saying uh, before enlightenment wash clothes mm-hmm. mow the lawn the laundry do, yeah <laughs> after enlightenment uh, mow the lawn do the laundry mm-hmm. D- can you not to suggest that you are enlightened or you were mm-hmm. enlightened but you had a you had a profound spiritual experience what was what changed yeah. from one moment to the next from one day to the other if anything you know when i got back to to colorado where i was living i had little uh, smaller versions of it just on my morning walks. And, um, you know, I'd tell my friends about it. And of course, you know, any friend and no matter how good they are, has a little bit of trouble connecting with your, mm. you know, some bros, uh, uh, mystical ashram experience. And, um, certainly but, you know, if they haven't gone on those journeys themselves. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing that happened is worth saying, I was seeing a psychiatrist at the time that had helped get me off all these medications. It'd be, we'd been a long journey with him and, and, um, um, and he's who would the person who ended up diagnosing me with, with PTSD and, mm-hmm. and complex PTSD. And, mm-hmm. but he, when I told him about the experience, um, he was as old school as, as a psychiatrist could get thick mm-hmm. glasses, um, just a total intellect. Um, he dropped his pen and looked at me and said, I believe you entirely. And, uh, I, I, this was real and this doesn't happen to anybody. It happened because you worked your ass off and, uh, mm-hmm. and you deserved this mm-hmm. and, um, mm-hmm. both on a human and spiritual mm-hmm. level. And, and that just, I just wet, fell into tears mm-hmm. again. And You're listening to men this way. I'm your host, Brian Reeves. I trust you're feeling inspired by today's conversation. And I want to cut in real quick and ask you a question. Are you a man in a relationship that's struggling? Maybe your partner ain't happy and you don't know what she really wants from you or how to give it to her. Maybe you're not happy and no matter what you do, you just don't know how to make things better. And do you want to make things better? Well, if you're thinking, yeah, to any of those questions, then you need to know about my new free training for men ready to create a truly thriving, intimate relationship, even when you're struggling. In this free training, I teach you the three key pillars of intimacy that you must learn to embody if you want to shift from the relationship sucking to finally unlocking the freedom, desire, and passion both you and your partner crave. And that is possible for you. And this isn't some stupid platitude. Like, this is real. I've been coaching men, women, and couples for over 10 years now. And I'm also married to my lovely bride of eight years. I know the mistakes we men make. I know the misunderstandings that trip us up. I know how our always good intentions too often just get us in trouble. And I know what you can do and say instead of the things you normally do and say that could actually help you start to fulfill your partner's deepest desires without losing yourself or sacrificing what really matters to you in the process. I know what she needs from you on a deeper level that will help her feel safe so she can more fully open herself to you. I know you're probably dying to end whatever stubborn conflicts you keep having. Or maybe you avoid conflict and you're finally seeing that doesn't work either. 
I know how to help you end unnecessary conflict and do conflict in skillful ways so that you can reliably create safety and trust that ultimately results in more peace and ease and freedom and connection for both of you. If your sexual relationship is stagnant or non-existent or somehow just not deeply satisfying to you both, and you want to know how to consistently foster affection and physically, emotionally, and even spiritually fulfilling sex, then do this. Go watch my free training video at training.elevaterelationship.com. This link will be in the show notes for this episode. It's also on my website. Seriously, if you're a man who is genuinely ready to thrive in intimate relationship, watch my free training video, The Three Secrets to a Thriving Relationship, even if you're currently struggling. The link is training.elevaterelationship.com. Again, training.elevaterelationship.com. It's less than 20 minutes. It's free, and it could totally change the relationship game for you. All right, let's pick up where we left off with today's guest on Men This Way. But you know, to answer your question more directly, um, well, b- well, before yeah. you even, before yeah. before you rush past that, I mean, what I'm what I'm hearing and that I'm guessing that this man was was uh, same age or older than you yeah probably probably eight to ten years older i mean having having that i I talk a lot in my in this show men this way and through my work about the lack of wise male elders Mm -hmm. yeah the, the lack of presence of male eldership in our lives and how how just having an elder man who at least in a certain domain feels trustable, more wise, more thoughtful, look at you and, and give that, again, that blessing of, I believe you, I see mm-hmm. you, yeah, I see you, I, you know, there's, I don't think us men know that that's missing yeah. until we experience it. Yeah. I've heard, I've, you know, I've heard words like father hunger that, you know, our prisons mm-hmm. are full of, of people suffering mm-hmm. from father hunger mm-hmm. who had absent fathers either either mm-hmm. explicitly or implicitly and mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. i think you're absolutely right you know there's there was a there was a teacher named robert moore uh, who was part mm-hmm. of the early men's movement mm-hmm. and i once heard him say in a recording you know um some men are blessed a few men are blessed and all the rest of us are unblessed and we move mm-hmm. through our 20s 30s 40s however long it takes you know, until we can initiate ourselves or find some sort of initiation. And, um, and we can be quite chaotic in that search. And, Mm -hmm. but you know, that mystical experience, that slap Mm -hmm. on the head and that affirmation from the psychiatrist, which Mm -hmm. obviously still brings up, you know, practically tears in me, um, Mm -hmm. was the blessing that I'd been looking Mm -hmm. for in a way, Mm -hmm. in a way, not, I mean, the blessing has to come from inside, but Mm -hmm. it was some external blessing that I needed. And, and that experience itself still remains with me. I, I can still picture myself sitting on the roof of this small building in the Himalayas uh, where I climbed up to sit for 12 hours, basically. And in fact, I was just thinking about this this morning. When I do lose sight of it, um, I I don't feel right. And, and I was thinking this morning, it'd been, it'd been a while since I'd contemplated it and contemplated the meaning of it. And mm. And I, I spent some time this morning with that experience and it, it is, it's huge and, mm-hmm. and it's something I never want to lose sight of. So, yeah. Let's talk for a moment about uh, your father, your relationship mm-hmm. with your father, since we're, we're yeah. here, we're touching on, it. and I know that's a theme that you explore 
uh, and that, that came up for you along your journey to tell us about your relationship with your father, particularly maybe, maybe as an adult, I'm not sure where, mm. where you'd want to start that, but, um, yeah, bring us into that. Yeah. Um, we've been estranged for a couple of years now. Um, but even for the 30 years prior to that, it had been a very fraught relationship. Um, um, I think I, I came into adulthood again with father hunger. Um, I think the dynamic got its start though in childhood where, um, it just sort of felt like I would say blue and he would say red, you know, and there was just, um, mm. you know, you're, you're drunk on gin for the, the mm. hundredth night in a row. And, mm. um, no, I'm not, I'm just working too hard. Um, mm. you know, um, mm. I ended up finding out about infidelities and things that I started, you know, I was a voice. I was a, mm -hmm. I was a pain in the fucking ass, excuse mm -hmm. my language. And, uh, um, you know, and, and that was a long-term thing. And I mm -hmm. kept, you know, calling him out. And when, when he would, you know, move back in for the holidays and tell us to tell our, our relatives that he was living at home, I just, I was furious. The anger I guess what I'm getting at is the anger was mm. pure high test anger that started at about 13 or 14 mm -hmm. and eventually it didn't have anywhere to go. And so it seeped into every cell of my body and, and became depression. Um, mm -hmm. It never was a chemical imbalance. It was, it was anger turned inward and mm -hmm. shame. And, uh, yeah. and so that came into adulthood. And, and to this day, I've never, we, we don't have a shared agreement on what happened in our childhood. Um, mm -hmm. After my mother died, I asked him again, can we talk about childhood? Did you, did you uh, drink too much? And his answer was, uh, no, I worked too much. And, uh, and yet I have, you know, third party corroboration on, on a lot of, mm. a lot of stuff. It's not made up. Um, mm. yeah. How did you on your journey begin to unravel that? I mean, even uh, I'm aware you said you've been estranged for a few years now, which I think, mm. which I th I'm assuming means you don't talk. Yeah. We don't talk right now. Um, yeah, we've been, I've, I've been talking with a relative about resuming, but mm. I'm not sure. Yeah. And, and again, you know, here we find, we can find parallel experience. I, I'm not estranged from my father, but I, I haven't mostly seen him for the last 10 to 15 years. I've seen him uh -huh. for a few hours here and there. And I just spent five days with him a couple of weeks ago, which kind of fucked me up for, mm -hmm. for, a, for, for a minute because he, he's, he's also in a fantasy world that I can't connect yeah. with. And <clears throat> so I'm not estranged, but I'm also, I've reconciled myself to having a having the relationship I want with him when he's dead. Mm -hmm. That's when I think it'll happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's, when he's, when he's my uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi in the spirit realm, right? you know, and I, not the human version of him that I just can't, I can't really, there's, there's no, there's no place within which we can really connect. Um, and, and I'm, I'm grieving that I'm, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm, relaxing into that. And it's, it's a journey. I'm, I'm curious, what was it for you that, you know, a few years ago you decided, or you came into just the stance of, okay, I'm, I'm not going to be in this man's life. Yeah. Well, I've been doing a lot of therapy, a lot of, uh, mm. somatic therapy to recover from the trauma and also regular therapy. And, and, um, I would, I'd begun to see the way that I had worshiped my own family and had, um, not seen for, for, you know, I, the stories never left me. I kept repeating the stories about from, you know, age 20 on, you know, in, in the, the, what had happened in my childhood, but it wasn't until late forties or maybe close to 50 that the trance broke. Mm. 
and then the trance is is a, is the right word or you know of the the cult like nature of the family that my two siblings still live within and um that we were perfect that um you know we're not we were better than everybody in our neighborhood and our town and um this trance broke and when it did you know is when i was able to write the book proposal for this book and mm. and then as soon as i started writing the book i you know at that point we were talking every every you know once a month or so and it was uncomfortable mm -hmm. and and uh occasionally you know kind of abusive language toward mm -hmm. me and and mm -hmm. uh but long story short when i wrote the book i knew i had to had to stop talking because mm -hmm. i like you you know my therapists were seeing that every time i engaged with him i was mm -hmm. going into a depression and i, mm -hmm. I wasn't even connecting the dots i was just confused why i was feeling this way and they mm -hmm. connected the dots and that you know that it just it just doesn't work and uh it has a deep deep resonance uh in me and and you know it's sad i'm also you know i've i've lost my entire family which feels very ungrounding and it took a few years to there was an orphan like feeling that that came with that um and yeah. it was best and i had to i learned i had to build my own family outside outside the, the in the world yeah have you seen this show succession you know, I know about it and I have not watched it yet. And I've, I've been told, yeah, I've been told to watch it. Well, I, I resisted watching it for a long time because I, I heard that it was just, it's just a family of people who are really cruel to each other nonstop. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, that's not really people I want to hang out with. Because, you know, when yeah. you watch a show, it's like you're spending time with those people. It's like the anti-Ted Lasso, mm -hmm. if you know anything about that yeah, show. Yeah, I do. I do know. Yeah. Well, I started watching Succession and I get why people love it. It's brilliant. The writing is incredible. And... Oh my goodness. Do you see the toxic father, mm -hmm. son and father, daughter relationship at play? And you see what happens to these boys of this man who is just cruel. Yeah. And you see the, the, <clears throat> oh man, it's heart wrenching at times. And I find myself as the man I am today, wishing I was in one of those scenes so I could put dad in his place. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Not that that would have any impact on the man at all, but that's the fantasy, you know, over, overthrow, Absolutely. overthrow yes. the tyrant King. So I can sit on my own throne. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think you'd enjoy succession seeing it yeah. from that vantage point. I have been told that I've been told there's a character on there that maybe resembled me a little bit in some way, but yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, man. Yeah. I think you really enjoy it. Uh, so what you, what you say though, does bring up, you know, and I yeah. haven't read Prince Harry's book yet, but I've seen mm -hmm. interviews with him and my intuition was mm -hmm. he had complex trauma from a dysfunctional mm -hmm. family. And I've since seen people like Gabor Mate talking about mm -hmm. that. So that kind of mm -hmm. talks, you know, and, and again, in my family, the, the, the gloves were always off. I mean, dinner, mm -hmm just evolved into insults and sarcasm mm. and you know the gloves would fall off and my mom would be crying you know is how most well into adulthood you know yeah well you might want to watch the show with your therapist sitting next to All you because right. okay. it <laughs> it's going to bring up some shit it's going to be right. it's going to be really familiar i'll do it <laughs> yeah <clears throat> so um walking into the soul of the world. I mean, mm. as you, as you came back from this journey, 
what what did you bring with you? You know, I, I yeah. I'm a I'm a fan of of uh, Joseph Campbell and the hero's mm-hmm. journey and and the the circular nature of that. Right, we we leave our we leave our our home, our comfort zone. We go out into the world. We fight the dragons for whatever tra- treasure, right? We and we come back with treasure into the community. Yeah. What would you say are are some of the treasures that you've brought with you? So I, there's actually one more wrinkle I want to tell you because okay. when I got back. Um, you know, I went, my, my girlfriend broke up with me. I mean, who wants to be with, you know, this man who's, who's walking around weeping and talking mm-hmm. about his mystical experience. And, and, uh, but after that experience with the psychiatrist and that blessing, um, you know, I was, I was talking with a, the, a friend of mine that was actually the leader of the trip that I was on. And, um, and he's a deep, a deep, uh, yoga, yogi teacher. Um, and he just said, you know what? I want you to come to India again uh, a few months later. Uh, so the experience happened in October. I want you to come back to India in, in February with me because I can see you at the foot of this mountain called Arunachala, which is in southern India. And so it's it's the it's not a representation of Shiva. It is Shiva, according to, to tradition. And so I end up... Uh, going back to India. It's the last thing I needed. I needed at that point to fix my life, uh, fix my business and career, but I just trusted and I went back. And And after that experience is when I really, um, at, there's a nine mile walk around the mountain. That's a traditional walk. And when I got down, done with that walk, I collapsed under a tree. And, and I think I just, that's when the soul was really felt and connected. I mean, uh, Yes, the mystical experience, but I dropped instead of a mystical experience, I dropped into the depths of of me and and just wept and uh, could feel every every moment of my life in that moment, um, the opposite of ecstasy. But that was sort of the a grounded sense of soul. Hmm. And and that, when I got home from that, you know, I was a changed person, and I, I was, um, you know, no, I was not. I was, you know, still still a man, still you know, messing things up like all of us do. But I had completed the journey and and I came home knowing that that you know a we can heal you know it, it's hard work and it can look different for everybody um but I came home knowing that that this is real that this this connection with mm. with the you know something other than what we what is apparent here is real and I had an embodied experience of it and um I'll never let go of that uh, and so how does that inform you? I mean, you, you shared earlier that you, you spent some time this morning reflecting mm-hmm. back on that experience, kind of activating, let's say the muscle memory, the cellular memory of yeah. that experience to bring it more alive again in this moment. I mean, how, how has that, that trip, that journey impacted your relationships with people, mm-hmm. the choices you make, you know, what, what you say yes to versus what you say no to? You know, I continued to work in therapy. There was still there was still some, you know, knots in my psyche that needed unraveling. So on a deep level, I felt reconnected with my soul and I was still still struggling in relationships. Um, It didn't fix anything instantly, um, but it did. It did fuel, you know, kind of a, a desire to. Well, you know, I mean, I'll just give you practical ways. I mean. I, of course, I've meditated and practiced yoga for a long time, but more and more, I just found myself um, sitting in presence in the mornings, um, mm-hmm. you know, and eventually I did re-engage with a woman that I, I had known for 30 years and and I moved to Austin and, and we 
you know, we've been in a relationship now for two and a half years. So I think it's it's a really difficult question to ask. And I want to bring something usable for your for your listeners. And, you know, I think connecting to your soul, I, I'm at a loss, Brian. I really am mm. to say that. The, yeah. yeah. Well, 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 something you said really struck me. Yeah. Because because I, I also was in this this believing I, I think many of us men, particularly the, on the spiritual path, we, whether we think this consciously or not, I think there's this expectation, this hope, this belief that if I attain spiritual enlightenment, whatever mm -hmm. the fuck that means, yeah. everything else will just be a piece of cake. My relationships right. will function. I'll be happy. I won't have any more problems. I, I remember I, I was very, in my twenties, I was very much twenties and thirties after the military, after my own, you know, <laughs> breakdowns. And, uh, I mean, I did ayahuasca, I yeah. went to landmark educations, studied with Byron Katie, um, all, all that stuff. And my relationships were shit. Yeah. None of that stuff taught me how to be with a woman. No. In any any meaningful way, how to be in relationship on a day-to-day -day basis and I, I think that's really important to call out. Yeah. That's a, that's a whole other world of of skill and practice and insight and and um so look, I appreciate your honesty about just I, I'm I'm not entirely sure how to answer that. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think as you say, there's a psychological realm and there is a spiritual realm and, mm -hmm. you know, no, I don't think I ever became enlightened. Maybe for that 12 hours I was, I couldn't yeah. connect with any sense of pain, but I'm, yeah. I'm really, you know, the, the going back to India, it sounds almost extravagant and unnecessary, but it wasn't because it took me down the other side of the arc, you know, at, at this peak experience, it took me back down into a grounded place of humility and um you know one of the big blessings of of all of that for whatever reason i started really practicing metta meditation around that time and self-forgiveness and you know that became kind of my main meditation and and helped me ease my inner critic um i, I guess i just i came back more grounded um and and more in touch with with reality and rather than being mm -hmm. in the in the heights of of up and out i came back mm -hmm. down and in so i yeah i think i think that that really lands with me i know that's one of the things that in, in as i was preparing for our conversation one of the things i've noticed that you really stress is is men coming back into our bodies mm -hmm rather than and i think the spiritual journey whether it's a you know a christian prayer or christian going to church worshiping the christian god or the, going to be the meditating guru in the mountains of india or whatever that looks like or, or you know whatever it is or the the, the california ayahuasca shaman yeah. you know a lot of that is can be a pathway for men to check out of our bodies yeah. to get out of our bodies to get into the to, to meet the God in the sky or the spirit in the other realms and we leave our bodies. And I, I, I so speak about that for a moment. It seems, cause it seems that you, you've had a fundamental shift in orientation to help both yourself and others through the work that you do these days to come back more into our bodies. Yeah. Well, I, I did end up becoming a yoga teacher and, um, um, and I knew that, you know, getting back in my body was, was an essential part of the journey. And, you know, I still work at that. I'm, I am a fairly heady person, but I did four or five years of somatic experiencing therapy. I learned to notice feelings more. I, I, I cultivated a feeling state more. I think so many of us sit at computers and we do live in our heads. And I began to notice when I get spun out, I can actually feel 
kind of a toxic energy in my in my head. And I, I've since learned that you can just with focus and, and you can almost bring that energy down and in and have it all mix up with your better energy. It sounds woo woo, but it's not really. It's just mm -hmm. sort of allowing your the full energy of your of your life force to move through you rather than getting it trapped up in your head. Um, so that was an important part of it. I had something else I wanted to add to that. Um, anyway, could you restate the question again? I did some. Yeah. So I was asking you about, about your, the shift that you've made, f which has led you to both as a practice and in what you teach as maybe as a yoga teacher yeah. to, for, to help men, to help people come right. into the body, be inhabit our bodies. I was just, I was just curious, like, why does that matter? Why is that important? Well, you know, I think several years before the, uh, the India trips, I, I had gone to Israel and Palestine and wandered around, um, there for 10 weeks. And when I came back from there, you know, I, I knew I couldn't be a Christian again, but I, I did feel a heart opening. And as I followed that, feeling in my heart, I realized that the drugs, among many things they'd done, but the, the numbing out had mm. prevented me from feeling. Mm. And it took me actually a lot of practice in, in a few years to go from, even after I got off the meds, to start to feel again. I had to mm. cultivate that. And the importance yeah. of that, I think, is, and I'm not talking about just emotion. I'm talking about deep feeling of like values and mm. what, you know, what you really care about and what you want and this depth of feeling. Mm. And I, I live disconnected from from that, you know, probably even before the medications became massive. Yeah, yeah. I think so many men do. And yeah. yeah. So that that sense of, of being able to identify in an embodied way, my values and my desires and and uh, and move forward in life with with more um, clarity. You said you've been in a two and a half year relationship now. What 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 do you know? Or what do you practice differently now that you were clueless about all those years before? A big thing is, you know, run. I, I, I've learned not to run. And fortunately, I'm, I'm with a woman who, uh, who, you know, she's been on her own journey and has mm -hmm. had a, a difficult journey. But we've just agreed, um, you know, not to run. And at times we've mm -hmm. we've gotten darn close and we've <laughs> we've separated for a bit. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, this this impulse to to run from your feelings, to run from pain, you know, that's that's that was the family ethos, although, you know, it was running without talking about things. So what's changed is staying in it, um, staying embodied, you know, and, and, and noticing when, when the anger might be starting to come up and out and in knowing that to take a pause, there's just some practical things that, that are connected to this feeling yeah. state and just noticing in your body more. That's one thing. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. Well, as we're kind of rounding towards uh, rounding third base towards home here to use mm -hmm. a sports metaphor, which I mm -hmm. really, really do, but here we are. <laughs> um, what have you learned on your journey that it, what, what does it mean to, to live a good life? What does it mean to yeah. you? Well, one of the things um, comes to mind when I was in that cave with the yogi, um, you know, I was tortured by this conflict with, with what to do about difficult people and, um, people that are difficult for you. And, and I asked him this question after he'd, after I'd calmed down and, <laughs> and, um, and he just said, um, you can walk away from difficult people, but you cannot let take them out of your heart. And, mm. um, so that's one kind of a, a practical lesson mm. that I learned. And I really have, have tried to mm. live that, um, you know, I, I think so much of the last half of the book is about 
this journey from the head to the heart. And I know that is, is can sound like a cliche, but the heart and, and the vulnerability, um, you know, I had a neurologist friend who I, I, I began to learn about the science of the heart. Um, and, and I, I called him up and I said, is this true? You know, is, is the heart really more energetic than the brain? And, and, you know, and he, is it a place of wisdom? He actually said, you know, he was reluctant. I mean, he, he's, he's a big brain guy, but he said, absolutely. He said the, you know, there's, there's millions of neurons just like the brain mm-hmm. and the heart. Mm-hmm. And, and that, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy who, who has a lot of spiritual, you know, ideas and, and a way of being, but I'm also grounded in, in facts and reality. And, and that little affirmation, you know, proved to me that this is where we've got to live mm-hmm. and that we've got to make it a practice. And, um, to stay in your heart as, as much as you can. It's, it's where, you know, I think if we, if all of us did that kind of work, I think we would have a better society. I think we'd make better decisions about things like AI. I mean, I think, you know, that we would yeah, look really right. check in with our yeah. values. I mean, um, yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I specialize in intimate relationship work mm-hmm. as, a, as a coach for 10 years, working with couples. Now I really focus on helping men more so in intimate relationships, but I, I see that as is the it is a <clears throat> it is the arena within which we do the work of getting out of our heads and into our hearts. Mm-hmm. And like you just said, man, imagine more and more men put themselves to that work. Governments yeah. will change. Uh-huh. Governments will topple, or at least they'll they'll shift priorities. I mean, so much goodness can come out of just men learning how to get out of our damn heart heads yeah. and, and yeah. into our hearts, and and what that means for each of us individually. Well, so I got, well, uh, I'm going to ask this question. You may have just answered it. Yeah. And then I'm going to finish with a, a little lightning round uh, that I have mm-hmm. about emotions. But yeah. the question that I like to finish with is what's, what's the one key insight that you would offer our listeners that you believe could make a meaningful impact on their lives because it has in yours? Yeah. I think I'd have to say that get in your body, connect with others and connect with something sacred and larger than yourself um that you know we have to we do we, we're going to worship something no matter what what we do mm-hmm. either we're going to worship money we're going to worship women we're going to worship mm-hmm. um you know power or you can worship something in, in, in you know that is constructive and grounded and a sense of the beyond and a sense of the the immediacy right now and i just feel like that's in addition to the heart stuff we just talked about that three-pronged approach is how I think of it. Um, mm. Deep connection with self and body, and uh, connection with with friends and mm. people, and then and then connection with something beyond. I love that, man. That that's really sounds like a pretty com- a pretty complete prescription for how to live a good life. <laughs> well, finally, okay, I try. <laughs> well done. Well, I like it. Um, Okay, so little little lightning round. Your okay. I call I call this your five core emotional triggers. Mm-hmm. In in men's work, one of the things that we, I think one of the core practices that that I certainly do with the men I work with is and 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 I've done this for years myself is connecting to our feelings. Yeah, most of us don't, as you share, we don't even know what we feel. So we there's a common practice to kind of break it down to the five primary colors of feeling. Mm. We, 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 and I'm going to go through the five primary colors and ask you, for example, number one, what makes you mad? Uh, Relationships that are based on one-upsmanship 
being being mm. uh, that that tendency that men have to one up each other. Mm-hmm. And that that's how we communicate and how we treat each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I call that pedestaling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pe- pedestaling pedestaling ourselves or or pedestaling exactly. others or trying to kick the pedestals out from the ones that we've imagined. Others are others. Yeah, I love it. Or digging yeah. holes for ourselves and to look up. You know, yeah, a hundred percent. Great. Okay. What makes you feel sad? You know, I think I am the type that walks through the world noticing things like homelessness and the mentally ill under bridges. Um, that makes me sad. Um, um, seeing people disconnected from other people, feeling the loneliness of other people, mm-hmm. makes me sad. Um, and in my own in my own loneliness that I can still fall into, yeah, mm, yeah. What causes you to feel joy? Well, the outdoors, traveling, um, a particular landscape. I lived in New Mexico for for mm. twenty years, and that kind of brown ground and bright blue sky somehow mm. says it all to me. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, landscapes, mm. open landscapes, mm. um, and, and of course, connection with my my deep friends and and mm. and my my partner. So. Yeah. What causes you to feel fear? I would say financial issues um, and and fear of of I have a deep fear of of manipulation. Um, you know, I'm I'm I've have been a trusting person who wants to see the good in people. And, and it took me a long time to, to find my own inner monster, you might say, you know, and to, um, to, to have, have a guard up, but that's something that brings me fear. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. And last one is a dealer's choice. What causes you to feel uh, shame mm-hmm. or, or embarrassment or that just makes you want to hide from the world? Yeah. Believe it or not, I still struggle with putting myself out there. You know, I think I have a deep-seated um, fear of narcissism, having grown up like I did, um, mm-hmm. fear of, of myself being a narcissist. Um, mm-hmm. And so I can get into a bit of a battle about um, my own desire for to, to be in a leadership role. I, mm-hmm. Obviously, I write well. I tell good stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I am, feel shame when, when I connect with that part of me that gets fearful of being mm-hmm. too much. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. I can relate. There's, I, I, I think I, I'm 48. I think I saw at around 28 or 30, everything that I rejected about my father, mm. I am. Yeah, totally. And when I saw that, I was horrified. Yep. <laughs> no. Yeah. It was horrified. In fact, the most, the most cruel thing that my sisters could say to me, they could call me dad. Uh-huh. Okay, dad. Oh, I wanted to fucking murder. So because yeah, they were right. And I'll tell you, it, yeah, that, that lives in me to this day, the fear of, of acting like my father in, in the ways that, that I don't ever yeah. want to be like. And so I hear you. Yeah. I yeah, would, I I would add to that, that though. You know, this as, as well as I do, but that, that step is, is a massive one. And when mm-hmm. you get to that point, which a lot, not a lot of people get to, to see yeah. your own shittiness is that's when things start to turn. So definitely. Cause now I can be on guard. I can always yeah. keep, keep an eye on that part of me. That is my father. Right. That would be my father. And at times does act like my dad and I can ah own it. Mm-hmm. Apologize. Ah, okay. That's not yeah. who I, you know, whatever the, whatever practice I need to do, but oh yeah, man, it's, it's helpful. It never goes away, but no. I'm, gl- I'm, I'm glad to see it. And it's horrifying to first see. <laughs>
Yeah. What's that quote about, um, you know, all evil, all there, there's a kernel of evil in every man's heart. And as long as you keep that in mind, um, you know, you mm -hmm. can be, a, be a little more integrated. Uh, mm -hmm. It's when we deny that, that purity that we see, seeing it all over in our politics right now. hundred percent. Well, Brad, it's been uh, an honor to have you on. Where can our listeners connect with you, get your book? Yeah, my book's available at, at most bookstores and on Amazon. Um, it's called Into the Soul of the World, My Journey to Healing. And um, you can reach me at my website, bradwetzler.com, or email me at brad at bradwetzler.com. And I'd love to hear from you. And, um, and thank you so much, Brian. This has been a joy and an honor. Thank you. Likewise, man. Been, been good to have you on and connect with you, Brad. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again to Brad Wetzler. You can find Brad at www.bradwetzler.com. -E of course, that link and any additional resources are in the show notes at brianreeves.com slash menthiswaypodcast. And also remember to please leave a review on your podcast app. If I read it in a future episode, I'll hook you up with free access to one of my online courses. And you can learn more about those at brianreeves.com slash programs. I'm your thriving life and relationship coach, Brian Reeves, Brian with a Y Reeves. Until soon, keep your head up, your breath relaxed, and your thoughts inspired. <laughs>